0: Peace be upon you. So there's one single sin that God tells us that if we maintain until death, he will not forgive. And that's of idolatry. In Surah 4, verse 48, it says, God does not forgive idolatry, but he forgives lesser offenses from whomever he wills. Anyone who sets up idols beside God has forged a horrendous offense. Knowing that this is the one sin that God will not forgive, we want to make sure we eliminate any forms of idol worship. And the one form I want to discuss that's been plaguing societies and individuals for many years is that of division. In Surah 30, verse 31 and 32, it says, Whatever you do, do not ever fall into idol worship like those who divide their religion into sects, each party rejoicing with what they have. Why is it that despite these clear commandments, despite the apprehension any submitter should have towards idol worship, so many communities are still dividing? still dividing God's religion and therefore falling into this one form of idol worship that God confirms he will not forgive if maintained until death. I want to look at a couple of these points and God willing shed some light so we can hopefully not fall into this trap over and over again. The first point is using too wide of a brush. Some submitters think they found a loophole in God's system. They think that there's a way that they can divide without breaking the commandment from God of being a divider. And when they have these supposed loopholes, the only people they're fooling is themselves. So in this particular methodology, what they do is they say, okay, we're not allowed to divide God's religion. Then all we're going to do is label the individuals we want to divide from as disbelievers. And therefore, we're no longer dividing God's religion. Now, when we behave in such a manner, the only people we are fooling is ourselves. God's system is perfect to think that we can simply label individuals as disbelievers and then divide. All we're doing is we're doing a disservice to ourselves. God tells us in Surah 6, verse 52, it says, And do not dismiss those who implore their Lord day and night, devoting themselves to him alone. You are not responsible for their reckoning, nor are they responsible for your reckoning. If you dismiss them, you will be a transgressor. Do we want to be looked at as transgressors through the eyes of God? God is telling us not to dismiss individuals who implore their Lord day and night, devoting themselves to Him alone. God tells us that we're not responsible for what they do, what they believe, what they think. And nor are they responsible for what we do, what we believe, what we think. And God is telling us that if we dismiss them, then we are going to be transgressors. It doesn't matter if we think that simply labeling them absolves us of this, Again, we're only fooling ourselves. God goes one step further in 494. It says, O you who believe, if you strike in the cause of God, you shall be absolutely sure. Do not say to one who offers you peace, you are not a believer, seeking the spoils of this world. For God possesses infinite spoils. Remember that you used to be like them and God blessed you. Therefore, you shall be absolutely sure before you strike. God is fully cognizant of everything you do. God is telling us that if someone is claiming to be a believer, we cannot simply say to them, you are not a believer. And if we do so, we have to be absolutely sure. We can't do this just willy-nilly labeling people because again, if we do this, we abuse God's verses, then the only people that we are going to be abusing is our own souls. A perfect example of the level of caution that is necessary when deciding to label someone as no longer being a believer, is that of the children of Israel, specifically with Samarian, with Aaron, and Moses. If we look at the level of care that was considered when banishing the Samarian from the children of Israel, it might become apparent of how we should behave to individuals in our own communities. In Surah 20, verse 92 through 94, it reads, Moses said, O Aaron, what is it that prevented you when you saw them go astray from following my orders? Have you rebelled against me? He said, O son of my mother, do not pull me by my beard on my head. I was afraid that you might say you have divided the children of Israel and disobeyed my orders. That despite the fact that them, the children of Israel, threatening Aaron's life, despite the fact of them blatantly creating a golden calf to worship, Aaron was still concerned of dividing the children of Israel. And how did Moses react to this situation? Did he just banish every single individual who participated in this act? No. He selected specifically the Samaritan, And he, with like a scalpel, he takes the Samaritan out of the community and he banishes him. And he takes 70 men and they go and they repent and ask God for forgiveness. Now, if we equate every single difference of understanding in a community on par to that of the Sumerian, then we're equating the extreme with the mundane. You can guarantee that in vast majority of communities that experienced the vision, it was not because someone said, hey, let's worship two gods, or hey, let's worship this golden calf. It was because of some trivial difference of understanding regarding some Quranic topic. And I guarantee both sides believe that their understanding comes from the Quran. So we have to be more lenient, we have to be more tolerant, because if we treat every single individual as if they are the Sumerian, then again, we're confusing our priorities, we're confusing reality with fiction. The second point is thinking we can guide others. In Surah 2, verse 272, it says, you're not responsible for guiding anyone. God is the only one who guides whoever chooses to be guided. God is informing us that we have no responsibility on guiding people. And it goes one step further. In 2556, even if we wanted to guide someone, God tells us you cannot guide the ones you love. God is the only one who guides in accordance with his will, in accordance with his knowledge of those who deserve the guidance. Even if we wanted to guide, even if we were responsible, we're still incapable. But God is telling us not only are we not responsible, we are incapable of guiding anyone. Now, God knows in our communities, there are going to be hypocrites. And the mentality of the people is that if we can just eliminate these individuals, then we can guide the the ones who stay behind. And this kind of false understanding, again, is going to lead us in the path of Satan. In Surah 4, verse 88, it says, Why should you divide yourselves into two groups regarding the hypocrites among you? God is acknowledging that, yes, in a community, there is going to be hypocrites amongst us. And it continues as God is the one who condemned them because of their own behavior. Do you want to guide those who are sent astray by God? Whomever God sends astray, you can never find a way to guide them. We think that by isolating people from these hypocrites, that this way we're protecting them from Satan. If someone is meant to go astray, there's nothing we can do to guide them. If they're not, if they fall into the hypocrite's trap, into their arguments, buy into their nonsense then there's nothing we could do to dissuade someone from that. This is exposing the quality of what's in their soul. Now, again, some submitters were very clever. We we think we found a loophole. What if, since we already know who the hypocrites are, I'll just be mean and nasty and disrespectful and drive them out so they leave on their own? Now, God tells us not to do this. We are responsible in behaving in a dignified manner. In 16:125 says you shall invite to the path of your Lord with wisdom and kind enlightenment and debate with them in the best possible manner. Your Lord knows best who is straight from his path and he knows best who are the guided ones. It is our responsibility that we debate in the best possible manner, that we use wisdom and kind enlightenment If we resort to being disrespectful, mean, nasty, uh, giving people the cold shoulder in order to drive them out, then it means that we do not believe the words of God. In Surah 41 verse 33 and 36 it reads, who can utter better words than one who invites to God, works righteousness, and says, I am one of the submitters. Not equal is the good response and the bad response. You shall resort to the nicest possible response. Thus, the one who used to be your enemy may become your best friend. Are we resorting to the nicest possible response? Are we trying our utmost to make sure that we're following the commandments of God, irrespective of how uncomfortable it might make us feel? It continues, it says, None can attain this except those who steadfastly persevere. None can attain this except those who are extremely fortunate. This goes to show how hard of a task this is. So few of us are able to respond in kind. And why is that? It's because it's at those moments the devil is going to do his utmost to try to push us away from responding in kind, responding with the nicest possible response. That's why in the following verse it says, When the devil whispers an idea to you, you shall seek refuge in God. He is the here, the omniscient. The devil wants to see animosity and hatred amongst us. He loves to see us fight. He loves to see us bicker. We should fight the devil and not fall into this trap. Now what else is interesting? In the following verse, when God tells us not to divide regarding the hypocrites amongst us, in 489 it reads, They wish that you disbelieve as they have disbelieved. Then you become equal. Do not consider them friends unless they mobilize along with you in the cause of God. God is telling us if these hypocrites, if they're behaving in a way that's mobilizing in the cause of God, then we are allowed to befriend them. We're allowed to be uh, amicable to them, to be kind with them. It's only when they turn on us, when they attack us, when they leave, when they act hostile, that we're able to stand up for ourselves. But up until that point, we have to treat them as believers. And what's interesting is the hypocrites, they have a tendency It reads that they want you to disbelieve. If they have disbelieved, then they become equals. And this is a trait of a disbeliever and a hypocrite, is they want to force their opinions on others. And this brings us to the third point about forcing our opinions on others. In 1099, it reads, Had your Lord willed, all the people on earth would have believed. Do you want to force the people to become believers? This is a tactic of the devil, to want to use force to get everyone aligned. And this is another loophole that some submitters think they identified, that if we force everyone to think the same, then we will finally be united. And all this happens is that that community becomes a totalitarian regime. They force people into a viewpoint, force people into an understanding, and that is not conformity of the way that God chooses. God wants us to freely choose. If we're only believing a certain way because we're concerned about the ramifications of that community, towards its members who share a difference of understanding, then we're only, again, creating this false sense of community, false sense of unity. There's a quote from Noam Chomsky. It says, The smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion, but allow very lively debate within that spectrum. If we are limiting the spectrum of which people can hold an opinion, what they can say, what they can believe, and thinking by doing so, we're going to have unity, conformity. Again, we're only fooling ourselves. In 2.256, it reads, There shall be no compulsion in religion. The right way is now distinct from the wrong way. Anyone who denounces the devil and believes in God has grasped the strongest bond, one that never breaks. God is here omniscient. We cannot resort to compulsion in order to get conformity, to get unity. Compulsion is a tactic of the devil. Consistently throughout the Quran, we see that it's the disbelievers who use force and intimidation, while the believers use logic and reason. We have the example of Moses and Aaron. They go to Pharaoh and they provide nine miracles. They provide logic and reason towards their point of view. And when the magicians see the proofs, And they fall prostrate. Pharaoh's response to them in 2071, it says, he said, Did you believe in him without my permission? As if they need the permission of an individual to hold a belief. We are each entitled to hold whatever belief we want. This is God's gift to mankind. The freedom of choice. Now, if we're going to use our intimidation tactics to force individuals towards a belief, then we're eliminating this choice from those individuals. In Surah 7, verse 88 In uh, in the context of Shweb, it reads, The arrogant leaders among his people said, We will evict you, O Shweb, together with those who believe with you from our town, unless you revert to our religion. He, Shweb, said, Are you going to force us? If we're going to tell people, Look, unless you revert to our religion, our way of understanding, our way of viewing certain Quranic topics, then we're going to eliminate you. We're going to banish you from this community then we're using the tactics of the devil. This brings us to the fourth point. Focusing on others when we should be focusing on ourselves. In Surah 5, verse 105, it reads, O you who believe, you should worry only about your own necks. If others go astray, they cannot hurt you as long as you are guided. To God is your ultimate destiny, all of you. Then he will inform you of everything you had done. We need to only be concerned with our own necks. We shouldn't be concerned with how other people believe and how they, what their thoughts are, what's in their hearts. Because the second we do that, we lose focus to this small opportunity to make it back to God's kingdom. In the Bible, in the book of James, it asks, What causes fights and quarrels among you? And the answer is given in the same chapter, verse 4, starting from 11. It reads, Do not backbite one another, brothers. Anyone who slanders or backbites his brother or makes a verdict on his brother is slandering the law and has decided the law. However, the law you decide, you are not the doer of the law, but the judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? We need to be focused on being doers of the law, not just purely a judge of the law. So many people, they want to just enforce justice and they abandon all the commandments in the Quran of how we are supposed to treat one another, how we're supposed to behave in a community. and they think that that supersedes their act of their righteousness, that by being a judge of the law, labeling individuals, Uh, deciding who uh, should stay and who should go, that this is more righteous than being a righteous individual. This kind of understanding, again, is going to lead us all to hell. And this does not mean we don't judge by God's leave. We judge. We judge by the Quran. We use the verses of the Quran to make sure we're acting accordingly with God's commandments. And this brings us to the fifth point, not taking action. Let's say there's a debate going on, and there's two sides, and they start... Uh, going at it, arguing and fighting continuously. And we say, you know what? I'm neutral. I'm not hotheaded. I'm not going to get involved. As if this is beneficial to the community. But by being neutral, by not taking an active approach to make sure that the peace is maintained in the community, we're breaking another one of God's commandments. In Surah 49 verse 9, it reads, If two groups of believers fought with each other, you shall reconcile them. If one group aggresses against the other, you shall fight the aggressing group until they submit to God's command. Once they submit, you shall reconcile the two groups equitably. You shall maintain justice. God loves those who are just. God is giving us a commandment that if we see two groups of believers fighting, that we fight the aggressing group until they submit to God's command. And what is God's command is that they stop aggressing. Aggression is only permitted against the aggressors. If someone is being an aggressor, someone is losing their temper, they're attacking other people, either physically or verbally, that claim to be a believer, it is our duty to maintain the peace in that community. In 49.10, it says the believers are members of one family. You shall keep the peace within your family and reverence God that you may attain mercy. We cannot simply be neutral and say, I am absolved of any responsibility. Our responsibility in our communities is that we maintain the peace, that if we see individuals being hot-headed, fighting, that we don't allow them to take over our community. There's a quote from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. that says, Few are guilty, but all are responsible. We all bear a responsibility to make sure that the peace is maintained. If we sit back and we allow the devil to take over, we hand the, the devil the keys to our community, then we have no one to blame but ourselves because we fail to uphold God's commandments. Thucydides made the quote, it says, the society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting by fools. We cannot leave the fighting to those who are hot-headed, they uh, have strong opinions, strong personalities, and allow them, to take over the community. It is the job of those who are on an even keel, who are neutral, who aren't aggressive, to intervene to make sure that the peace is maintained. And this brings us to the sixth point, forgetting who our real enemy is. And I want to convey this point through a story entitled Penguin Unity. It reads, By being united, the emperor penguins of Antarctica have been able to survive the coldest of nights in the most inhospitable place on earth but one year that nearly came to an end for a single colony. That year, as the penguins migrated from all directions to arrive to the place where they were born in hopes to find a mate and procreate, two male penguins began to dispute regarding how best to attract a mate. One penguin passionately argued that it's much better to bob the head, while the other explained the virtues for one to bellow and moan. Neither penguin was willing to drop their case But instead looked for support from their comrades as they campaigned to win over others to what they considered as their superior point of view. By the time the penguins arrived to their destination, a division formed among the colony. Half the male penguins opted to rely on bobbing the head to attract a mate, while the other half resorted to the art of bellowing and moaning. While the argument was predominantly among the males who had to carry out such acts, the women who selected their mates based on their preferences, were also stigmatized by their decisions. This caused the colony to officially split in two. After selecting a mate and laying the eggs, the male penguins stayed behind while the females left to go fill their bellies. Two months later, when the women returned and started their walk back to their colony, two female penguins got in a dispute regarding which food is the most nutritious for the babies to eat. While one party suggested crustaceans, the other slapped her fin, explaining how eating fish is superior. Each party attempted to get more support for their side, such that by the time they got to their end destination, all the women returning were in dispute to which food source was better for baby penguins to eat. Thinking this would cause another schism to their colony, once more, they eagerly raced to see how their husbands would side. But to their surprise, their husbands, who were previously divided, were all united. What happened, they asked, while before you wouldn't stand the sight of one another, now you guys are all brothers. One husband explained that after the women left, the temperature precipitously dropped and the winds began to pick up, causing storms like they have never experienced before. At first, this caused the two factions to grow further apart. But eventually, the conditions got so grim that they realized that it would be impossible for them, let alone their young, to survive divided. And they needed to put their petty differences aside and face the real enemy, that of the blizzard, that was banning against all of them indiscriminately. For the cold did not care how they preferred to attract a mate or what their opinion on the matter was. It was at that point they recognized how foolish they were, for it was the coldness that they needed to unite against and not each other. So the two factions merged once again into one single colony, able to survive another day. But the women, unhappy with their husbands' change in perspective, thought that they must just be hungry and not thinking clearly. While they agreed that how one chose to attract a mate was a petty thing to cause division, they rationally explained the topic of which food source is superior was not. They thought for sure that once their husbands got some food in their belly, they would too would stop considering people who have a difference of an opinion towards the superior food source as their brethren. But the opposite ended up to be true as well for the women after their husbands left. For the same coldness that initially drove them apart eventually aided to bring them together as they too had the epiphany that they could not survive unless they too put aside their trivialities and unite in one giant huddle to stay warm in order to protect themselves and their offspring from such bitter conditions. Then from then on, while disputes would still occur, their new appreciation for unity would not allow their differences to tear the colony apart into factions, letting their community to survive for many generations to come. Oftentimes, we forget who our real enemy is. We think it's each other. We think it's individuals who have a different point of view than we do. But the real enemy is that of the devil. The devil does not care what our viewpoint is. He bans against us indiscriminately. And we see an example of this in 28.15 with Moses. It reads, Once he entered the city unexpectedly without being recognized by the people, he found two men fighting. One was a Hebrew from his people, the other was an Egyptian from his enemies. The one from his people called on him for help against his enemy. Moses punched him, killing him. He said, This is the work of the devil. He is a real enemy and a profound misleader. Moses did not blame the Hebrew for pulling him into the mess. He realized that he was not the enemy, nor was it the Egyptian. It was the devil that caused these actions, the devil that caused him to fall. And once we realize that it's not each other, that it's the devil who's causing this animosity and hatred and infighting and division, then we can all band together against this one common enemy. Because the devil, he loves to see believers fight. He loves to see us dispute because it's the one way that even if someone is holding the right understanding, the right point of view, they're still wrong by their actions. He can win against everyone. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. When our actions are wrong, we fall to the devil's trap. God tells us in Surah 61 verse 4, it says, God loves those who fight in his cause united in one column like the bricks in one wall. We need to be united against the devil, not against each other. If we fail to understand that and we waste our energy fighting each other, then the devil wins. We're handing the devil the keys to our community and we're falling into idol worship, the one unforgivable sin. God tells us in 1753, he says, Tell my servants to treat each other in the best possible manner, for the devil will always try to drive a wedge among them. Surely the devil is man's most ardent enemy. In Surah 3, verse 103 through 105, it reads, You shall hold fast to the rope of God, all of you, and do not be divided. Recall God's blessings upon you. You used to be enemies, and he reconciled your hearts. By His grace, you became brethren. You were at the brink of a pit of fire, and He saved you therefrom. God thus explains His revelations for you, that you may be guided. Let there be a community of you, who invite to what is good, advocate righteousness, and forbid evil. These are the winners. Do not be like those who became divided and disputed, despite the clear proofs that were given to them for these have incurred a terrible retribution. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.